everybody, Mike here. Hope you're doing well. Uh, summer's wrapping up. In, in Ohio, anyway, school starts in mid-August, which I think is unholy. Um, definitely unbiblical and unhelpful. Um, we just returned from a couple of weeks on vacation uh, and, you know, so grateful to be back be back home, but, but so great to see so many people um, in what for us was home for 20 years. So um, thank you for all of those uh, of you who contribute on Patreon. I, and I feel like I always have to say this because this is our livelihood, uh, at least a significant part of it. And um, for those of you who support us that way, it's very meaningful. Absolutely. There'll, there'll be another Revelation podcast later this week out. I'm behind uh, because of vacation, but I've got one cooking that uh, I hope will be helpful. Um, thank you, too, for those of you who like, subscribe, and review us on uh, on iTunes. That that keeps us kind of, um, uh, how, whatever algorithm is used, it keeps us sort of at the forefront of attention uh, by iTunes. And so it, it means a lot. It's encouraging, but it also helps people find the podcast. And so we're very, very grateful for all of those things. Um, there have been a couple of really high-profile uh, things that have happened the last week or two involving a couple of men that I have admired um, for quite some time. One of them uh, is named Bill Hybels. He was the founder of uh, Willow Creek Community Church and the founder of something called the Willow Creek Association. Um, and and Willow, Willow Creek has been one of the most influential churches, and Bill Hybels has been one of the most influential um, leaders uh, in the evangelical movement for years now. Um, and the last several months, it's been coming out that uh, there have been very courageous women who've been coming forward with stories of inappropriate um, touching and inappropriate acting and behaving. And, and, you know, initially, Bill's response was, you know, no, this never happened. Um and, and people were colluding against him and, and all sorts of things. Um, and, and, then, and then, you know, recently as more and more of these women have come forward, I think it's up to 10 now, um, there's just the realization that, no, <laughs> you can deny it all you want, but there's some, something obviously happened. And I don't know that we'll, uh, we'll know uh, Bill's side of it adequately, um, but certainly the women have, have brought forward very credible stories and it, and with nothing to gain um, that, that, you know, put Bill's denials in, in sharp perspective. Um, he's no longer at the church, but the, the, the fallout of this, and in fact, I'm recording this on a Monday, just yesterday, a new set of allegations was released in the New York Times from a longtime assistant. And I have a friend on staff there who's in leadership, and he's just been consumed by how to best navigate um, some of the decisions that are now sitting before him because he had no idea um, all this stuff was was out there or, or uh, the accusations that were coming. So um, it, it's just been a mess. And then and then the other guy has been a another and and Bill, by the way, was a very much a leadership guru. I mean, he he his sweet spot was talking about church leadership, like that was his thing. And uh, he'd written like 50 books, a lot of those on leadership. I mean, and, and, and he sponsors this leadership global summit that would bring in leaders from all across the world. I mean, it's a huge deal. So this is a big, big thing that's happening. And closer to home, um, uh, a guy I admire named Urban Meyer, 
who is the head football coach at Ohio State University, a job uh, that I've often coveted. Um, Urban, um, it turns out, lied. So, so he had hired, when he was a, a coach in Florida, a guy named Zach Smith is his wide receivers coach. Zach Smith had and has had uh, a history of domestic violence allegations, no indictments, no arrests, but certainly allegations. Um, and uh, recent allegations came to light. Zach was fired. Urban was asked about how much Urban knew about the allegations, particularly in 2015. He denied he knew anything about them. And then it came out, of course, that he did. Um, so he's on administrative leave and there's all sorts of, you know, investigative reporting and uh, going on here. But Urban it was was another leadership guru. I mean, he was. I, I actually read his leadership uh, book on how to create a football culture. I, I just love this stuff. I'm so weird. Um, and, and, and both of these guys I really looked up to. And as this has unfolded over the last, for Hybels, it's been a couple of months at least, probably three or four. Um, for, for Urban, it's been, man, the last couple of weeks. Um, it, it struck because I've always been attracted. It struck me. I've always been attracted to that kind of model of leadership. It's the, it's the point person. It's the CEO. It's the, 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 the lone visionary pastor up on a mountain wrestling with God and coming down the mountain to enlighten the masses as to what we should be doing. It's that model of leadership that I've, I've been so immersed in. You know, it's like the head coach leadership. It's the CEO model of leadership. And when you get to the New Testament, of course, uh, you don't you you have personalities like Peter. Obviously, was a significant leader, and Paul was a significant leader. But you also have this sense of plurality um, that that leadership was held by not just significant personalities, but by by teams and groups of people. And um, and for me, when I when I read about these sort of leadership failures. The first thing that happens, of course, is it just strikes terror into my heart because I know what I'm capable of. Um, money, sex, and power are the temptations of leadership, and um, and 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 in a lot of the ways, and we've talked about this before in the podcast, but in a lot of ways, the American church, at least some versions of it, are set up precisely to feed those temptations in the life of a, of a big name senior pastor, right? There's a massive platform. There's tons of exposure. Um, uh, but even for those that don't have a big platform, what's sold to us is, um, is that success looks like um, the big, the better, um, the bold production, the polished service. I'm trying to think of other Ps. Um, the, the progressive, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it's that it's that the event that you do is awesome and it's amazing. You have this compelling staff team and and um, and you're pulling off just this audacious, big, hairy, audacious goals. They were called when I was a bit younger. And um, and that was the model of leadership that spilled over. So even if you weren't one of these megachurch pastors, you still you still were tempted by that picture of success and that picture of leadership. I just want you to know I got an email and um, and I, it's from American Express, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to know that we had a uh, an expense uh, that just hit our credit card for an athletic club um, that we belong to in Columbus, Ohio. So there you go. Um, an athletic club clearly not used by yours truly enough, but an athletic club nevertheless. Now, 
So here's Urban, here's, here's Bill, and regardless of your take on the situations, um, clearly there's a breakdown personally, um, which you know I'm capable of. I'm the biggest sinner in the room, no question about it. Um, but there's, there, there also seems to be breakdown in culture. And this is what is so interesting in, um, in church leadership is all I've known has been the pastor as CEO model. My, my friend Todd Proctor and I led a church called Rock Harbor where we tried to break out of that, where, where we both led um, together in separate spheres. He was the lead guy over everything else. Um, and, uh, and I was the lead teacher and we kind of led in this, uh, partnership and it was, it was super tough because both of us had been raised on a certain view of leadership. And, and, and thankfully I think more and more, particularly among the younger crowd are, um, realizing the perils of that CEO model of leadership. But it just, so the first thing that happens when I see this stuff is I'm always, I always look inward and go, oh my goodness. Um, I, I, I could be so capable of of exaggerating or lying to protect myself or getting in situations that um, I would never want reported or whatever it is, right? I mean, that's just part of part of walking as a frail human person is the recognition of, of weak spots. And so uh, that is always the first thing that happens. But the thing that's been really chewing at me has been, have we succumb to this view of leadership and and the concordant view of success. So if that's the view of leadership we've embraced, the view of success that we've embraced goes right along with it. It's personality driven, numbers driven. Um, and, and, it, and it just calls, I think, into question um, where the American church is headed and why it doesn't experience much of God's power. Uh, we've talked before about the fact that, you know, God's quite clear in the scriptures. If you make much of your own power, you're not going to see much of his. Um, his power is only made perfect when ours is brought to an end. And so the American church and me, too, have fallen in love with big, vast displays of power and numbers and, and, um, and, and moments and experiences. And, and, you know, and yet you go to a church in the developing world and you know the presence of god seems thicker there uh, and and there really isn't much of a, a reason why so nothing really more to add except that um we've talked a bunch on the podcast about church and leadership and all of those sorts of things and and just a confession that you know i i don't this was the model i've i've been raised in and it's the model i like i mean of course if if you had a choice between doing the hard work of plural leadership or doing the hard work or doing the easy work of just being an autocratic leader. I would choose autocratic leader. Um, just confessing my sin here. Uh, so, so, but it, but it does, it's this beautiful, like calling into question this leadership culture that we've created. Got a couple questions. Um, and, uh, and trying, um, to stay ahead of it. We're going to start, like I've said a couple of times, we're going to start a Q&A, separate podcast, like five minutes, just do one question at a time, crank those out, be awesome. But uh, these have uh, accumulated in the inbox, and so I was excited to get to some of these. My friend Joe, this was a kid in my college group. Um, I'm not sure if you remember me from college group days. Oh, I do. But I was there when you came screaming in um, as William Wallace, <laughs> dressed up in a kilt, and with blue face paint. 
Um, I, I did do that. Absolutely. Anyhow, my cohort chaplain friend and I have been trying to put to bed the idea of Calvinism in one of our other chaplains. <laughs> the Calvinistic believer says all Christians are at least three points of the tulip acrostic, um, uh, which, which he means. Uh, so, so the tulip acrostic is a very popular and oversimplified summary of reformed of some branches of reformed theology. Tulip, the T stands for total depravity, the U stands for unconditional election, the L stands for limited atonement, uh, the I stands for irresistible grace, and the P stands for perseverance of the saints. And let me go through those because Joe's friend argues it doesn't matter if you're a Calvinist or not. Your every Christian is three of these: the two, the T, the U, and the L. And I'm going to disagree. Now, if I geek out a little bit on this, I'm so sorry. Um, we've we've talked in other podcasts about um, some issues we have with some Reformed theology, and so uh, it won't be shocking to you that perhaps I would disagree. Um, so so let me go over the acrostic, and and again, if if um, you know, I'm not I'm not doing it justice as uh, if we were to spend, you know, an hour on each of the points, there would, there would be much more nuance than this. T is the idea of total depravity, which means that there isn't one iota of uh, the universe that has not been touched or affected by the fall, and that our, that our depravity is total. So Paul is quoted in Romans talking, and he's, Paul himself in Romans is quoting a bunch of Psalms talking about there's no one good, there's not even one. Um, and the idea is uh, that that we are fallen and we cannot get up. <laughs> we are we are absolutely uh, irredeemable uh, on our own. There's nothing, nothing, nothing we can do about our situation. The you is something called um, unconditional election. It's it's that that God unconditionally, and that means independently of human choice, action, or merit, God elects or chooses people uh, to rescue. Now, there's, and so this gets into the idea of predestination, the idea that God sovereignly chooses those people who will spend eternity with him and concomitantly is, is either choosing actively or just simply allowing those who aren't chosen uh, to then spend eternity apart from him. And there are all kinds of ways this sort of thing is trying to, to be nuanced and put together. But unconditional election means that God chooses. And, uh, and he chooses salvifically. Now, the L is a, a logical follow-up from the U. If God chooses people, um, and not everyone, if God chooses only some to be with him forever, then the work of Jesus was only for those that are elect. It's called limited atonement. And it's the idea that the work of Jesus is only efficacious for those whom God has previously chosen. So it's not unlimited um, atonement. It's just limited. Uh, the I is irresistible grace, that when God calls you, you're coming. Like God, it's the God's call is irresistible. Like you can try to resist it. You can try to fight it. You can try to doubt it. Um, but God's, God's calling of you cannot be fought. Um, you may think you're fighting it, but that's just all part of the process of wooing you into his kingdom. Um, which makes sense if he's unconditionally choosing you that you're going to say yes to that, right? That's the irresistible grace part. You're just going to say yes. 
Um, and, and then the P naturally follows from the L and the I, and it's called perseverance of the saints. If you are rescued, if you are indeed one of God's elect, you can never lose that election, right? Because you did nothing to gain salvation, so you can do nothing to lose it. So that is in a very choppy way, in a very unnuanced way that my Reformed brothers and sisters would have all sorts of problems with. That is a brief definition of the tulip acrostic. Now, Joe's question is, hey, my friend says everybody, regardless of whether you are a Calvinist or not, is at, le at least agrees on the T, the U, and the L. And oh, Joe, I disagree with this. Total depravity. Let's talk about that one. It depends what you mean by total. If total means we are fallen as far as we could possibly fall, and there is nothing good about us, then I would completely disagree. It is clear from the Old Testament that the image of God still resides in human persons, and that we are capable of goodness. Common grace, which is a Reformed doctrine, suggests that we are not as bad as we could be, though certainly we are not as good as we should be. And so if he means that we are totally, completely, and utterly fallen, there's nothing good in us, I, I could not disagree more. I would agree that, um, that salvation is by grace alone. It's not something we earn or merit. There's no, like, well, I'm a good person, so I get to, get to go, right? No, nope, that's not the way it works, that we are fallen, absolutely. But depending on how he would define total, the word total, I don't know if I'd agree or not. Unconditional election, I absolutely disagree with. Absolutely. The, and I'll say this as strongly as I can, knowing that so many people will disagree. Well, this will have to be a separate podcast. But election in the Bible is corporate. It is, um, it deals with nations. They're, they're, the, the, my, my Calvinist uh, brothers and sisters drastically misuse um, a passage in Romans 9 through 11 to justify the idea that God selects some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. God is not talking about, Paul is not talking about people going to heaven or hell, first of all. He's talking about nations and how the Jews and the Gentiles relate to each other. He uses people like Jacob and Esau as examples. However, Jacob and Esau very clearly in the Genesis account stand for nations. And so um, that I, I think that that whole passage and certain passages in John have been dramatically misread to think that the, that the salvation of individual persons is, is what is being taught here. Um, absolutely, I, I disagree. So I, I'll save some ammo on that um, just because I, I, I think it's worthy of its own, of its own podcast. But um, what, what God elects are nations. So he elected Israel. And the election is never for its own salvation. The election is always for mission. So I got, dude, I got stuff on this. Um, and I'm, I, um, on the scale of passion, I kind of rise up a little bit because I think the idea that God, for whatever, whatever it is and however it works, that God sits uh, wherever God is sitting and chooses people to go to. It's like, it's like being a lifeguard and having the power to, you, let's say you see 30 people drowning. You have the power to save all of them. Your, your Bible says you want to save all of them, but you choose to only save 10 of them. I don't get how that, I don't get how that logic works. And I don't think it's biblical. I'm so sorry. And I know that's, people will disagree with that. The L I don't agree with because I don't agree with the U. The L only works if the U, if you agree with the U. So if, if God 
died, if God wants all to come to him and have a knowledge of the truth, then Jesus's work can be applied to everyone, regardless of whether or not you're elect in the way that the Calvinists think that election is applied, works or not, right? I, so for me, the atonement of Jesus is ready to be applied to anybody who call upon, calls upon his name. Anybody, anywhere, with any background, any history. Um, absolutely, all you have to do is cry out to God for salvation and the work of Jesus has already been applied. Absolutely, it was happened while we were still sinners. So, so Joe, great to hear from you. Um, remember, I mean, when you get into theological conversations, the, the goal isn't to win. I, I always want to win. But Dallas Willard has this great line. He's like, I'm sure that Jesus would be the first person to tell us that we should follow the truth wherever it leads us. And I love that. So, so the issue, you know, I would say is, okay, well, you, you know, this person's probably been immersed in some reform scholars. Um, uh, have they ever read the opposite side? Have, are they even open to reading the opposite side? Because uh, you can be a good and faithful Jesus follower and not agree with this, and you can be a good and faithful Jesus follower and think this is the way that it works. So, so we we're, the goal isn't to change people's minds. Um, the goal is to discover the truth together. So, for me, um, I would just you know urge you to be gentle, uh, and you know I'm sure you are, um, but I think there's some. <laughs> I think there's enough to quibble there that, that it would be interesting to have another podcast conversation about it. Question number two. Mike, been listening to you for about a year and a half. Um, you've helped me change my thinking to the better on the whole view of what it means to be a Christian. Well, thank you for that. I hope you get out more than just me. Um, I was thinking you might want to find a college student or theology intern or a 30-something-year-old to do this podcast with. Otherwise, it's church. When one person is talking, it's church. Not that your thought-provoking words are bad, because they're great. Another voice brings a different dimension to your show. Um, also, you were talking about sand, sound issues. Clearly, dude, if you put up a sign in the area of audiovisuals at your local college asking for interns, you could save yourself some money and help a student learn more about the word just saying. And this is from my friend Krista. Now, first of all, Krista, thank you for the feedback. I couldn't agree with you more. I, so that's why I've been doing podcasts with random friends, because the gift that Andy has been was certainly the producing and editing skills um, that he brought to the table. But it quickly became evident that that having another person in the room that wasn't like me was a really, really good thing. Um, and so the future of the Vox podcast is this. We want to really up our game. So we're going to hire a producer um that will edit and you know record and do all of those sorts of things we want to find a couple of different co-hosts um and at least one of those and, and and the issue with andy of course is he and i could do it on skype but it's just not it's not the same energy it's not the same sort of dynamic so i couldn't agree with you more krista that we need an andy in ohio and i'm hoping i'm hoping that one of the co-hosts would be uh, a young lady um person of color, somebody who is, um, you know, struggling with issues of sexuality, I mean, whatever, uh, a non sort of mainstream podcast voice would be would be very fun for me. So um, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm on it. I'm working on it. We want to, to very much continue to invest in the podcast and glad it's been helpful thus far. Third question, and then we'll wrap up. 
Um, hello, Mike. Been listening to your podcast since day one. Holy cow. Thank you for listening. I remember you taking a question about how Matthew 18.20 is often misused. I've been combing your podcast and can't find it. Do you mind directing me to the podcast where you talked about this? Um, you know, I looked, and this is from Jimmy. Jimmy, I looked today and I could not find what podcast it was. Um, I, I'm guessing it was one of the very early ones where we were talking about church discipline or judgment, the way like table fellowship could be a different way to understand uh, the way a community fellowships. And I, I'm guessing it was one of the early episodes. But Matthew 18.20, for those of you that don't know, is a verse that is much quoted in Christian circles. The verse itself is... Um, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And the idea is if, if you and another Jesus follower are at a coffee shop together, there Jesus is with you. Um, you can call that a church or you can call that a gathering or whatever. Um, it's usually spoken of in the context of fellowship, uh, which is a you know f- a Christian cliche word that just means like relationship. <laughs> And, uh, and so you'll hear this, you know, how many, like a, a question was on my Facebook feed today, how many people constitute a church? And of course, this is the verse people go to, well, where two or three are gathered, there I am, Jesus said. The issue per usual is um, we yank these things out of context without any regard for what comes before and after. So, so Jesus is dealing with um, an issue called church discipline. And, and it's, the issue is pretty simple. I mean, it's just how be- believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus should handle conflict. And Jesus gives very practical instruction. He says in verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, right? So no gossip, no posting on social media, no triangulating with other people, just go to them. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, this was from Deuteronomy. And the sin that Jesus is talking about isn't an offense. It's like, ooh, that hurt my feelings. This is, there's been some um, injury done, and not just physical injury, but something, something, you know, something more significant than just, well, I didn't like the way the person was talking to me. Um... So, so go by yourself. If, if not, take two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Um, and, and remember, the church here that he's referring to is probably 20 people, 25 people that meets in a house. So this is not standing up in a mega church saying, well, Aunt Sally in row 47A you know, sinned in this way this week, and we all need to ostracize her. That's not at all what he's talking about. He says, go by yourself, then two or three witnesses. If that doesn't work, take it to the church, which was a small group of 20 to 30 people. And then he says, if they refuse to even listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Now, Jesus, of course, treats pagans and tax collectors very well and, and with love, but they weren't part of the, they weren't considered part of the church community until they'd repented. So the idea is you treat this person graciously, you have table fellowship, you love them, pursue them, but you don't consider them part of the family until they repent. 
Now then, and these are very confusing words, Jesus says, truly I tell you, he's still talking about the same thing, discipline in the church. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And these are rabbi words. Binding and loosing had to do with permitting and restricting behaviors. Again, this is Jesus continuing on. So he's saying the same thing twice. I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So the issue is not just Christians getting together at Starbucks and, you know, claiming the presence of Jesus, which of course you could, but not on these grounds. Um, the issue is, hey, if a matter is going to be established by two or three witnesses, two or three witnesses is enough to establish something. Why? Because where two or three are, I am with them. And um, and Paul even talks this way in terms of uh, in the in the books of first and second Corinthians, he's talking about judging somebody in the church. And he's like, even though I'm not present, I've rendered judgment, hand this person over to Satan, which is its own sort of uh, interesting question. Um, but the idea was what, how, how big a group of people did you need to render a judgment on something? And the idea was two or three eyewitnesses. And, um, and so Jesus promises that when two or two or three eyewitnesses are there, um, rendering a judgment, he is there with them. Now, uh, of course, I, I hear all of the disclaimers that need to be made in that sentence. Like, it it doesn't mean that, you know, that two or three hypocrites, you know, Jesus joins them and they, they do some legalistic, awful covering of abuse thing that Jesus blesses them. No, 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 of course not. Of course not. Of course not. Um, Jesus isn't saying that any behavior that claims the name Christian is Christian. Uh, what he's simply promising is that the believers, the believers have authority to adjudicate issues within their own fellowships and that his presence will be with them in that. And that's hence the passage um, of, of, and why it's two or three, because Jesus mentioned two or three eyewitnesses earlier in the context. So again, uh, of course, Jesus is with us. Um, you can establish that from loads of other passages, but it, it's just one of those things where Man, in America, we, um, and I've, I'm so guilty of this, and that's how I've learned some of this other stuff, is just realizing, oh my goodness, context actually matters uh, in some areas. And so, again, the encouragement is whenever you come across a text like that, read the chapter surrounding it. And often you'll realize, oh, Jesus, the paragraph divisions, the verse numbers, the, the paragraph headings make it seem like Jesus is talking about a bunch of different topics, when in actuality, he's talking about the same thing a couple of different times. So anyway, hope this is helpful. Grateful for all the questions. Got some cool stuff cooking uh, in the future of the podcast. So um, the hope this tied you over until next week, my friends. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. Thank you so much. Until next time.